0: The town of Butte is one mile high in the Rocky Mountains of North America. Montana's state motto is Big Sky Country. It can be read on the license plate of Tom Malloy's truck. That's where we are today. Together with Julie Crowley, he is driving along the pathways of this vast graveyard. To understand the size of Holy Cross Cemetery... Imagine a place that drops from the eye into the prairie grass of the foothills surrounding the town. Overhead the sky is indeed big and blue and unblemished. Tom Malloy's truck is big, but then Tom himself is a big man. He is not a Butte native, but a Brooklyn Malloy. Julie Crowley, however, is rooted in the town of Butte. Her family were all miners with links back to the Bearer Peninsula in West Cork.
1: You know, and I think you asked too about my family, um, my family history and my men. Um, All the men in my family were miners. My dad was a miner, both my grandparents, my grandfathers, um, two uncles and then three great-uncles. And two of those great-uncles died here underground, one at the Anaconda Mine and one at the Mini Healy Mine. The other one was uh, a safety man and he was on the safety crew. He was one of the ones that helped save lives in the granite speck disaster uh, three years prior to Thomas Manning's murder. So yeah, the mining runs deep, yeah. In 1916,
0: when Ireland's political landscape was tearing apart, Thomas Manning turned his back on home and headed for America. He arrived in Butte, a mining town where Irishmen worked and played hard. A fighting town where there was good money to be made. He would spend four years there before a 32 calibre bullet entered his back and ended his life. I have made this journey to explore the background to the shooting of Thomas Manning. His murder forms part of a tragedy that is known locally as the Anaconda Road Massacre. On an April afternoon in 1920, he was one of 17 striking picketers shot in the back as they ran from a hail of bullets discharged by security guards and sheriff's men at the gates of the Anaconda mine. Back in Ireland, the struggle for independence was a main preoccupation and events 5,000 miles away would not have been reported. The Anaconda Road massacre remains a largely untold story outside of Butte. Irish immigrants
2: under centuries of English oppression. They came here, you know, with with the American dreams and American liberties of freedom of speech and freedom of assembly, freedom of religion. All of these freedoms that they had come here and and hoped to find, and then to run into the Anaconda Company and uh, hired corporate gunmen that were shooting them down in the streets. It it, it was a, a stab in the back to everything that they had been promised that they were going to have. So anyway, this is exactly where Julia Crowley grew up, right here on the the road. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the ancestral home in Ireland is still there, but the one in America is gone due to capitalism. Yeah. How's that for irony?
0: The ancestral Irish home that Julie speaks of lies on the Bearer Peninsula and the question of why Thomas Manning and thousands of other Irishmen arrived at the Butte mines can be found in the village of Alighys in West Cork. <coughs> that's an interesting bit of uh, it is, isn't it?
3: stone there, They're uh, drill-cores, you know, on the mine, that's sandstone. My name is Tygo Sullivan and I am part of a group of volunteers who are known as the Alighys Parish Cooperative and who run the Alighys Copper Mine Museum in Alighys. It was discovered in 1812 and it was discovered by uh, the local landlord Puxley with a British engineer who was riding along on horseback with him and uh, he spotted the green green staining on the quartz uh, as it stuck out into the Atlantic Ocean. You can still see it there today. From there, uh, the, the copper mining story in Elihis started. That was in May 1812. In many ways, the story
0: of Allahys is the story of Butte: Employment and plenty while the copper lasts, but ruin and abandonment when the ore gives out.
3: Right through to 1883-84, uh, when the copper mining in Allahys was winding down and winding down quite dramatically at that stage, Eventually closed closed 1885 and the planted machinery was sold off. But during those 70 odd years, you had a huge, very intriguing, interesting story in Elihy's turned from what was a rural outpost on the western edges of not only uh, the southwest of Ireland, but western Europe, um, and it turned it into uh, an industrial hotspot, as it were, where the Industrial Revolution first arrived in Ireland and probably one of the first places in the British Isles. Copper mining
0: in Ireland coincided with the age of steam. Cutting-edge innovation gave experience and advantage to miners like Thomas Manning, presenting themselves for work in America.
3: And the real museum in Alighys is not just in the, in the Methodist church that we have here behind us. Alighys is like an amphitheatre looking out into the Atlantic towards the Skelligs. Um, it's, it's, it's ringed with mountains and it opens down to Bally Dunnigan Beach and out to the Atlantic. And there's engine houses all around us because the mining didn't take place in one place. That was the main the richest mine up there in the mountain. But all around us there's mines and just beside us here down by the stream as we're looking down here there's another engine house just over there. And there was there's more mining in mining sites over there. So they're all around us and really Alihies is one big museum and we're trying to tell the story of Alihies in general.
0: Mining is considered a dangerous industry. In Alahis, you were not expected to live beyond the mid-40s. You worked in darkness below ground. Safety was not a concern for the mine owner. Danger and friction led to inevitable industrial action. Strikes in the Alighys mine were forcibly overturned by the local constabulary.
3: We're walking down here now, and you can see the stones. We're down towards the bottom of the graveyard. Um, But this is the very oldest section of it. And um, you have lots of unmarked graves. There's lots of graves down there, and a lot of them are mass graves. No names recorded, just stones on the ground.
0: When Thomas Manning died in Butte, Montana, he too was buried in an unmarked grave. It remains so even today. As the copper in Allahies ran out, word filtered through of another mine 5,000 miles west.
3: What what a lot of them didn't know was that when they were immigrating to Butte, they thought that Butte was uh, just on the other side of the Atlantic. It was, well, not as far again, but nearly as far again to cross all the way over the the mainland to the high up in the the Rockies.
0: Conditions there proved no safer than home. If you survived the journey to Butte, you were made of strong stuff. However, high in the Rocky Mountains, life expectancy was
3: still low. There was a communication system whereby um, the people who went out would always make contact with, the pe- with people at home, telling them uh, how and where and what were, things were like. Of course, what it eventually meant was that more people left for the promised land, for mining in Butte, and Butte became what was known as the Fifth Province. And um, by the turn of the century, it was the main pop- uh, population was Irish over there, you know.
0: Do any of them ever come back?
3: They do, and of course they did more than they do. Um, and it's one of my ambitions to get to, to, to Butte. And I've often been told um, to that they, 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 we're standing in the graveyard here in Nellie's. The graveyards in Butte are littered with O'Sullivans, as I am, and Harringtons, and Murphys, and we're looking at Casey there. And it will be so interesting to see those names um, in the graveyards of Butte. And Tig is right. Butte remains a mining town, blue collar
0: big trucks and shed loads of attitude. To get to Butte, I drive through the grain belts of the Great Plains. On the long journey, radio stations ghost in and fade out. But on the outskirts of the town, one song comes through loud and proud. It's coming from Radio KFDR, broadcasting from Main Street, Butte.
4: Come, come, we got a copper mine, runs it 24 hours a day. Some real close friends of mine work there, shoving dirt and getting paid. It's a city that was built some blood and sweat and hard work of our granddads. They dug it a mile high, and a mile deep, and passed it on to us young lads. Well, I'm real dead. Big sky country and the land of the sensor. And if you got a problem with that, I
2: got something to say. I'm proud to be from you,
0: America, By 1920, Butte boasted that it possessed the richest hill on earth. Good money and regular employment brought Thomas Manning and so many other Irishmen to butte. Populated by a hundred thousand residents, the town quickly achieved a reputation. Every vice was available. So it's no small wonder that so many Irish never returned.:
1: Murray, McNamara,
0: MacDonald, O'Neill, Dooley. I'm back in the big truck with Julie and Tom as we bump over prairie grass and read grave markers. Lowney. Sullivan.
1: Yeah, I like that tombstone on that Sullivan there. McKenna. Harrington. Healy.
0: Walsh. Driscoll. Rocky mountain weather is unpredictable. Thunderheads gather on the horizon, and the inevitable downpour sweeps in. Having been invited to the opening of the annual reraw Festival of Irish Music and Culture, I meet guest of honor, US Senator Jim Keane. Jim was a miner in Butte before he was elected a legislator.
5: This is typically of our summer weather here, but like when the underground mines were working, they w- when a thunderstorm came through, they would quit hoisting. We're talking history from about a hundred years ago to 130 years ago. That's when this place was Irish heaven.
0: But just as quickly as it comes, the hammering rain eases off.
5: And my grandfather came here. He was from Donegal, and he was the youngest in his family, and his brothers were working in the coal mines in Pennsylvania, and they, they sent the message back home that keep Joe in school as long as you can so he could learn to read and write. Because they couldn't. So when they got him over here, and he he was working in the mines in Pennsylvania, but they got him a stake and sent him out to find a better place. And he and he went to Michigan in the iron mines, and he went to Colorado. But he and four other guys heard they were paying a buck a day or something, you know, that we wouldn't even consider, but it was top wages in Butte, and then he headed to Butte, and over the period of time he brought, you know, they'd get here, you know, and and some, like my grandfather, he didn't want to go back, and I mean, you know, as he got older, his daughter just was dying to take him back, he was from Donegal, the Blue Stack Mountains, kind of nice valley, I've been there, and and you know, he he just he just it was too painful, I think, for him to go back. He just, but it isn't that he didn't like it here, but here, in in one time, somebody asked my grandfather, "What's best about Butte?" And he says, "You work every day." So so, I mean, that's as simple as it gets. I can remember as a young kid, he had most of three fingers cut off one hand and two off the other. So when I was a young kid. I'd grab those stumps and I'd say, Grandpa, didn't that hurt? And he said, Nope, never felt a thing. You just see the blood fly. I mean, and, and he wasn't saying, It was just like, hey, this is part of what I did. And you know, it was just, it, it's, it, and he wasn't complaining about it. Or, you know.
0: Some miners worked contract quotas. Health and safety was minimal, productivity, everything. If you retired from the mines with all your limbs intact, you were blessed. At one time, every inch of residential space on the hill was occupied by miners. Tired men emerging from 4,000 feet below ground had no wish to walk further to home than was necessary. The Butte Hill is gone, consumed by the open cast Berkeley Pit. What was once a mile high is now a mile deep. This pit is slowly filling with a toxic cocktail of contaminated water that is leaching from the defunct mines. Overlooking the town and the pit is an oversized statue of the Blessed Virgin. She looks down upon a landscape of old steel towers, rusting sheet metal and sagging timbers. The population is one-third of what it once was and the cheek-by-cheek residential tension no longer exists. Tom and Jim take me to a lookout high above the town.
2: Directly below us is Dublin Gulch this neighbourhood all below us here, there were houses. Uh, I, the, the, the gal from the courthouse still talks about the garbage man having a hard time to get through the streets because the, the streets were so close and twisted that they couldn't get the garbage truck through the streets. The milkman was the same way. He couldn't get the milk truck through the streets to get to the neighbourhood.
0: In one of the houses in these cramped streets, Thomas Manning found a place to live.
2: And the far side of Dublin Gulch, over there, is Hungry Hill, and that was an entire separate neighborhood from the gulch. Looking off to the to the west is Corktown.
0: That little you can still see the rooftops of what's left of the neighborhood. The name Anaconda dominates the history of Butte. An Irishman placed this town on the map. He developed it from a straddle of silver and gold prospector shacks to a major centre of industry. His name was Marcus Daly, a cavern man. And he established the Anaconda Mining Company that would become the richest and most influential in the US. There used to be
2: a gigantic hill. On top of that hill was the Anaconda mine shaft, And the hill is now gone. So the Anaconda Road now dead ends where the Kelly Warehouse is where the Anaconda Road Massacre took place was approximately right where the Kelly Warehouse now sits. Mm -hmm. There used to be four sets of railroad tracks right there across the Anaconda Road, and that's where 400 to 500 men showed up for the strike and the massacre took place.
0: Julie Crowley grew up on Anaconda Road, The massacre happened not far from her front door. And stories from that time in 1920 and events from her childhood have influenced her view of the world.
1: Up about where that slow sign is across the street was my house. That's where my house was located. The Anaconda Company bought us out in 1973 and uh, that's when the company was buying out all kinds of neighbourhoods in in Butte. They were buying out the Italian neighbourhood they were buying out the Austrian neighborhoods. Uh, a lot of the Irish neighborhoods were located up here on the hill. They wanted to expand their mining operations, and the neighborhoods were getting in the way. So they bought us out in '73, and it was a major impact on me. I was about 10, 11 years old at the time, and I really felt displaced because this was my home, and I didn't understand why we had to leave it. You know, usually if you leave a home, it's because you've outgrown it or your parents are going to be employed somewhere else. Our reason for moving was simply because the Anaconda Company wanted that property. And they demolished the house a year later. Um, They demolished all the houses up here, as you can see. And so this has all been recontoured. All the yards are gone. Everything is gone. Everything's been um, buried basically in what, six inches of soil, lime, and uh, have this, has this uh, grass been put all over it. So it's unrecognizable as to what I grew up with, um, but that's how I can recognize where my house was because I remember that pole with that crossbar on it reaching down to the ground there. That's my marker. I grew up looking out. Our front window was this mine dump right across the street. Well, it was such a strange feeling for a child because, you know, as you can imagine, houses, families would just, as they moved out, leave these empty houses around. And there was nobody buying them or moving back in. They were just left basically abandoned. And I remember people going through them. They would take the fixtures or they would take the the pipes. They would take whatever they could, doorknobs, etc., And it really left me with a very hollow feeling that people used to live here, people I knew, people I grew up with, friends that I had played with. And it just seemed such a a strong feeling of betrayal by the company who had employed, you know, all the men in my family. And this was the final betrayal, that they are now taking our house. And they're taking the cohesiveness of the neighborhood that I grew up in and tearing apart friendships. Um, And it was all for profit. It was all for capitalistic gain.
0: Without Julie Crowley, Thomas Manning's murder would remain forgotten. Indeed, it was through a newspaper article in the Montana Standard featuring Julie's interest in the subject that I was drawn to the story she remains stubborn in her pursuit of justice for Thomas Manning's memory. When walking into her home, I was astonished to see an entire wall of her living room devoted to a CSI-type montage of maps, newspaper clippings, faded photographs, all relating to that afternoon in 1920. An extensive two-week inquest followed Manning's murder, and Julie has posted relevant extracts to the wall. She brings it to life as if the massacre happened only yesterday.
2: So, just to orientate you on the map here.
0: On Anaconda Road, Julie and Tom consult one of those maps as they reconstruct the events of the day.
2: Yeah, where we're sitting right now is exactly where the massacre took place. This would have been exactly where the tracks cross the Anaconda Road, the little tool house from the insurance maps is visible.
1: So on the day of the massacre, Roy Alley, DG Stivers, uh, John Birkin, notorious gunman John Birkin, left the Hennessy building. They drove up Main Street and they came around. And Sheriff Warwick had already been here. A lot of the picketers showed up around 3.30. Sheriff Work showed up shortly after that. And they were negotiating about getting the crowd to disperse um, John Birkin, started a skirmish, and the gunmen for the Anaconda Company opened fire with sawed-off shotguns, shotguns, rifles, and pistols. Uh, They also had uh, saps, blackjacks, clubs, a humane club, and uh, steel clubs, and a lot of them started hitting the miners over the head also. So as the miners were running, they were running south from here and uh, down to Granite Street. A lot of them ran west, west on the Anaconda Road. Uh, some went into Simon's boarding house to escape uh, the, the, for refuge from the gunfire. In all the testimony I've read, no one knows when Thomas Manning got shot and they don't know uh, where he got hit or anything. They don't know who helped him, uh, how he was assisted uh, back to uh, St. James Hospital. A couple of witnesses that have testified, they knew who Thomas Manning was. And during the, the massacre, Thomas Manning happened to be standing next to Sheriff John O'Rourke. He was one of the ones, a lot of the men had brought property tax records showing that they had every right to be on the Anaconda Road because they had paid property taxes and this was part of the county property and they had a right to be here for uh, uh, public assembly. So he was one of them that was there showing his property tax records when the, the firing uh, commenced. So he was basically on the front line of the crowd. As the rest of the crowd were more south and west, he would have been standing right close to sh- the sheriff and the mine guards. The mine guards came down from the Never Sweat Gate. There was approximately 30 of them. Um, about 60 shots were fired When Roy Alley gave the command with his arm for the mine guards to open fire, he also yelled out, go get the sons of bitches. And then the firing commenced. There was uh, someone taking photographs of the event, but one of the mine guards came over and hit him over the head and told him and ordered him to stop taking pictures. Don't know if the photographs exist. It would be gold to find those photographs of showing this event occurring at the time.
0: Dave Emmons is a man who has made a career out of the study of the Butte Irish. How are you? He is professor of history in the neighboring University of Montana. All right. Uh, anyway, good to see you. <laughs> I'm glad you were able to get up the road. Uh, yeah, a few detours, but we managed to get there all right, you yeah. His insight into the underbelly of dirty politics prevailing at the time of the Anaconda Road massacre Makes some sense of the circumstances Thomas Manning and other Irish miners got entangled in.
4: Well, one part of it was hard because they their their concentration was on their work lives. You know, the work routine. They get up in the morning. They you know they go to work by riding a chippy cage, three thousand feet down a, a an unlit shaft of into a hole. Uh, they spend their days down there, but. You know, for whatever reason, they never lost sight of what else was going on in their larger world, and it was the the diasporic world of wandering Irish. Ireland was never very far from their minds, and they always associated what's going on with what is happening in Ireland
0: By the time Thomas Manning was murdered, the Irish had mined in Butte for forty years during those years, there had been strikes and riots many of them led by the Irish. De Valera famously made three fundraising visits to the town. The Butte Irish were renowned as sponsors for the armed struggle for independence back home. This tainted every Irishman with a whiff of suspicion. Anti-imperialism became entangled with anti-capitalism. Not a single Irishman was to be trusted.
4: So the charge was immediately made that this is not a labor strike at all. This is an act of sedition. This is an act of treason. And so all of these Irish are going to have to answer to this. Here comes the military intelligence. Here comes the the Department of Justice. Here comes the United States Army. Butte was an armed camp during all of these years. The army was there. Uh, The National Guard was there. and Sinn Féin, the, word keeps, you know, the words keep being thrown around as if somebody in Montana knew what they meant. Uh, this, is, this whole strike, this act of sedition, is being laid at the feet of Irish miners in Butte. And they're, they're being told, you know, you're doing the communist bidding, but all of this is being laid in their, at their feet. The Anaconda Company had essentially a private police force of its own. When you go back to Butte, there's one mine. It's the Bell Diamond. It's still there. It is a kind of turret. This is where the Anaconda Company put armed guards with rifles way up high, you know, good view of everything down below. That's how bad things were. So you've got, you know, guys with rifles up there on the top of the head frames. When 1920 came, no picketer was safe. And this is what I think happened with Manning of... Just an unoffending young Irishman who was in the wrong place. But the company mobilized its gangster force, uh, its private police force. And that was essentially the sheriff's department, the whole sheriff's department. company president, by the way, was John Ryan, ably assisted by Con Kelly, uh, ably assisted by William Daly, no relation to Marcus. But anyway, this is an Irish club. The Anaconda Company, I think, was the most powerful Irish American fraternity anywhere in, in the country.
0: Julie's quest has unearthed lost detail from amongst the dust of Butte's archives.
1: Archive things Would you pull the birth or the death certificate again for Thomas Manning? Yeah, what April t- 21st, 1920. No, he died April 25th, 1920. 19- 20?
6: 20? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so we have here uh, from the state of Montana the uh, death certificate for Thomas Manning. Uh, his residence was 20 West Court Street. Uh, he resided in Butte, Silverbow County, and died at the St. James Hospital. According to his death certificate, he was a white male. He was married. Um, It does not list the name of his wife or his date of birth, but that he is 25 years old. His occupation is a minor, and he was born in Ireland to John Manning and Margaret O'Brien. The cause of his death is listed as general peritonitis caused by a gunshot wound, that it is homicidal. He died on April 25th, 1920.
0: Newspaper reports for the days following the massacre play down the role of the mine guards and the sheriff's men.
1: One of the headlines here from the Butte miner says that 15 were wounded in strike rioting.
0: Headline after headline pointed blame at the striking miners.
1: Shot from boarding house window precipitates promiscuous firing. Sheriff alleges it is revolution.
0: The revolution reference in the statement played upon the paranoia in the U.S. The newly formed Soviet Union represented a threat to the fabric of American life. The mine owners delivered jobs and gave life to towns like Butte. So it was inevitable that they would fight fiercely against any hint of communism.
1: Fifteen persons, including a policeman, were wounded on Anaconda Road near the Never Sweat mine about five o'clock last night when a shot fired from a window in the Simon Boarding House, 246 Anaconda Road, grazed Deputy Sheriff Wayland.
0: Most of Butte's newspapers were financed by the Anaconda Company or other mine owners.
1: Deputy Sheriff's police officers, mine guards and sympathizers with the strike called last Sunday by Metal Mine Workers Union number 800 IWW. The shooting came as a climax, to three days of violence during which miners attempting to go to work were assaulted by pickets, streetcars were stopped and patrons dragged off and beaten. With the firing of the first shot Wednesday afternoon, all were frenzied excitement, and although Sheriff of states that none of his men fired into the crowd, most of the men present were armed, and there were so many shots fired that it seems remarkable that more men were not injured.
0: Less than three days after Thomas Manning and his fellow picketers were shot the Anaconda mine reopened its gates.
6: On April 22, 1920, in the Butte Daily Post, the headline reads, Mines reopen tomorrow. Federal soldiers in Butte this evening. Troops are dispatched at request of the governor.
0: The strike was broken. No man would stand against a vital industry. And those that did were considered guilty of treason.
6: Casualties total 16, none dead, but some critical. Third on the list is Thomas Manning, living at 20 West Court Street. The bullet entered his left hip, glancing upward, penetrated bladder, and emerged at abdomen. Operated on at St. James Hospital by Dr. T. J B Shanley. Six perforations found in small bowels and rupture of the bladder, condition critical, chances not good, stood operation well.
0: For five days, Thomas Manning drifted in and out of consciousness before he died. His death would go unreported in the newspapers, and shortly afterwards, an inquest was called.
1: So the inquest is three volumes long, and there's about 100 witnesses that were called. And the, uh... during the inquest... Many Well, all of the witnesses produced, if they were shot, they produced the bullet, the shell or the buckshot that was removed from their bodies. Um, Some of those were entered in as um, exhibits and some were not. But Thomas Manning's was.
0: Reading the inquest report is like holding a mirror to the politics of America at the time. The overreaction by the mine owners and the sheriff's office to the strikers was driven by fear of an organisation known as the Industrial Workers of the World, or IWW. In simple terms, this group supported labour strikes and had communist sympathy. Unwittingly, Thomas Manning found himself at the front line of an IWW organised picket that afternoon on Anaconda Road.
1: So these were the notes uh, testified to during the inquest of Thomas Manning. Uh, There was an open mass meeting at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Finnish Workers' Hall, 318 North Wyoming Street in Butte, and the demands of the strike were, one, the release of all industrial and political prisoners. We realize that this is a political demand. It is only necessary, however, to call attention to the recent general strike in Ireland, for the release of the Mount Joy political prisoners. Number two, a six-hour day from collar to collar. Number three, minimum wage scale of $7 a day for all workers in the mining industry.
0: The fourth condition demands that the price of staple foods be fixed, including the humble potato.
1: Spuds, $9.50, a sack. Sugar, three pounds for 50 cents. Bread, two loaves for a quarter. Onions, 10 cents a pound. Shoes, $12 to $20 a pair.
0: The fifth and final condition is something more appropriate to what we would expect.
1: Two men to work together on all machines and two men to work together in all workings. Two miners on a machine is the dope. Not one man running the machine and the other mucking. All work underground is dangerous. It is doubly dangerous when you work alone. The Metal Mine Workers Industrial Union, number 800... IWW Butte Branch, Nick Radovich, Secretary. So here's a list of some of the exhibits. Um, Exhibit F was of solidarity. Exhibit G was the communist manifesto. Exhibit H was industrial communism. I was the revolutionary IWW. J was titled sabotage. And then a couple of uh, er, uh, rifle shells that were taken, one was taken from Thomas Manning.
0: The citizens of Butte would have to wait over two weeks to learn the inquest verdict into Thomas Manning's death. The three volume report would then be filed and lost until very recent times. For many in Bute, the conclusion would not be a surprise.
1: And what I feel the reason why it became so political is the Anaconda Company was trying to Discredit the witnesses that were called that were IWW members in an attempt to make it look like there was justification for the firing onto this crowd. And depending on what witness you read, you can tell the witnesses that have copper collars as it's referred to here in Butte. And a copper collar is just a metaphor for a person who is um, receiving bribes or or kickbacks or um, any type of money whether you're a politician because the Anaconda Company ruled the town of Butte and the state and the politics. It had a national it had national influence and somewhat international influence.
0: The story behind Thomas Manning's murder was the one that drew me to Butte, Montana. I now realize that his death was just one minor incident in the story of global politics. I wonder now, did he die defending a political cause or just fixing the price of spuds? The inquest result throws up more questions than answers.
1: So the the, the inquest was a six-man jury. And at the end of several days, and um, about 100 witnesses, several exhibits, No one was ever convicted or found guilty of the death of Thomas Manning. No assault charges filed, there were no murder charges filed, nothing became out of this other than just headlines and a poor man who was buried in an unmarked grave at uh, Holy Cross Cemetery here in Butte, while the men who who ran the company and were over the men, the guards, the murderers, uh, lived in big mansions on Butte's west side.
0: In the end, it seems that Thomas Manning was not just the victim of one man's bullet, but a victim of an establishment more powerful than he could have ever imagined. Due in no small part to Julie Crowley's tireless crusade, Thomas Manning's name will not be forgotten.
1: Thomas Manning represents what I have always grown up with is an overreach by capitalism of unregulated capitalism gone awry. The Anaconda Company was unregulated in its finances. It was unregulated in its environmental. It was unregulated in just every aspect that it did. And the devastations of the company are still seen on the, the scars to the landscape here in Butte. But also, you know, they left scars on the souls of many people by the displacements of the neighborhoods. And Thomas Manning just is a representation of the worst part of that, by being the one person murdered in this event that happened, and no one was ever found guilty for that. There's a huge injustice in that. And it just represents the worst, the very worst of capitalism. He came to America seeking What all immigrants have come to America to seek was the freedoms and to establish a better life and to live a better life. And as a result of that, he didn't live the American dream. He was shot in the back, running away.
0: Like the unmarked graves of Alahis, Thomas's resting place is covered with nothing except grasses that have blown in on the wind. On the day his body was lowered into the ground miners once again descended into darkness to win copper ore from hard rock. The difference is, Thomas Manning would never again see the light.
1: So sitting here, just looking at the grave, makes you wonder, who, who was the last person that visited this grave site? You know, are we the first ones in about 100 years? Has he been that long forgotten? What he died, you know, what it represented.